Please turn back in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel and chapter 10. Recently, I was uh, chatting to somebody who'd been on a sponsored bike ride. And the, uh, the bike ride was for a kidney transplant charity. And on that bike ride, there were some transplant surgeons. Their regular job was to be giving kidney transplants to people. Then there were some who were recipients. And there may even be perhaps someone here who's received a donor kidney. And there were those who had donated a kidney to somebody else. Sometimes it was a family member. Sometimes it was a donor match on the database. Now, I imagine that if you had a loved one who needed a kidney and you were a match, probably we would all be willing to give a kidney. But, hypothetically, if eye transplants were possible, would you give your eyes to a loved one? Now, I have to say, I I would struggle. I don't think I could do that. Now, why is that? Why would we struggle to do that? Well, our eyes are precious, aren't they? It is through our eyes that we see and experience the world and receive so much delight. But in this passage this morning, we're going to see something that is actually far more precious than even the wonderful gift of physical sight. Something that is better to have than 20-20 vision, and that is spiritual sight. Spiritual sight. We're going to be focusing particularly this morning on the healing of this man, Bartimaeus. And what we're going to see is that Bartimaeus, though he was totally blind physically, yet Bartimaeus had spiritual sight. Now, we're going to consider this in three sections. Firstly, we're going to consider the commotion on the road. Then we're going to look at the cry of Bartimaeus himself. And then we're going to look at the call of Jesus. So first of all, let's consider the commotion on the road. And Jesus, so Mark describes this for us in verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now in this scene that Mark paints for us, we're going to just take a moment to consider each character that is described for us in that verse. Now, the first person that we meet is the Lord Jesus himself. As he went out of Jericho. Now, what is Jesus doing at this point in Mark's gospel? Where is he in his ministry? Well, the key is found in verse 32, if you just look a bit up on the page. Mark tells us now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. Jesus is on the last journey of his life before his death. He is traveling up to Jerusalem, where there, as he is predicted in verse 33, he'll be betrayed and be killed, and on the third day, 
he will rise again. Now at this point, Jesus' mind is occupied. What is it occupied with? It is occupied with his impending sufferings. Now, in a tiny little way, we know something of that experience. Perhaps you've got an examination coming up, a difficult examination, and what fills your mind all day, every day, often it's, it's that examination. It weighs upon you. Maybe it's a difficult family meeting or a presentation that you've got to give at work, and there's something that, that, that just presses upon your mind. Well, here the Lord Jesus in his humanity would have experienced that in indescribably greater measure. And despite this, he is marching forward up to Jerusalem. He's going at such a speed on this difficult incline, and it's worth knowing that uh, uh, Jericho at this point is 3,500 feet below Jerusalem. The road to, to Jerusalem from Jericho was a steep and difficult road, yet Jesus is going ahead. And the disciples are afraid. They can't understand why Jesus is saying that he's going to die in Jerusalem, yet here he is marching. He is moving forward on the road going up to Jerusalem. Now, the second group of characters that we meet in this passage is the disciples of Christ. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples. Now, these are the first blind people that we meet within this passage. Not Bartimaeus, no, it's the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know that they're spiritually blind? Well, we can just look at the preceding passage. They do have some partial sights. Peter has confessed in chapter 8 that Jesus uh, is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Yet, they have a very uh, muddled and unclear understanding of why Jesus had come. They were still expecting earthly glory. They didn't understand what it really was to follow Christ and the cost of following Christ. And we know that by the question of James and John. When Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do they ask for? Grant us that we may sit in verse 37, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. They don't understand. Before glory, there's going to be suffering. They're expecting to be exalted there in Jerusalem, but they don't understand that Christ must first suffer for sins. And they must, as followers of Christ, suffer with him. Jesus uh, uses this language of, of blindness in Mark's gospel in chapter 8 and uh, verse 18. He says this, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? The disciples were largely blind at this point. But then we meet another group of people. Mark tells us that it wasn't just Jesus and his disciples traveling on the road up to Jerusalem. There were many people with him. There is this great multitude. Now, this would have been a real mix of people. 
Uh, Jesus was traveling up at the time uh, just preceding Passover, so there would have been many pilgrims going with Jesus and the disciples in one of the only routes up to uh, Jerusalem. Any males 12 or over had to go and attend to uh, the Passover, so they would have no doubt been part of this great multitude. It was also an important trading route, so there would have been those trading and coming along on that route. But then there would have also uh, been those who had an interest in Jesus. Perhaps some who wanted to see another miracle done by the Lord Jesus Christ. Some who took an interest in the way that he taught. Did they see the Lord Jesus? Did they know who he really was? Probably not. Probably many of them, or even some of them, may have been among the crowds in a few days' time, crying, crucify him, crucify him. Now, I want to just pause here for a moment and just say this, that it is possible to be very near to the Lord Jesus and yet to be blind to who he really is and what it really means to be a Christian. Now, you might say to me, well, I've never really been near to the Lord Jesus. But, you know, every time you come here on the Lord's Day, the Lord Jesus is spiritually present among us. In Revelation, uh, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. The Lord Jesus is here in our midst. When you are sitting at home, mum and dad open up the scriptures and read the Bible with you, and, and, and you hear the word of God, the Lord Jesus is, is speaking to you. It's possible to be near to Jesus. It's possible to gather with God's people. It's possible to know much about the Bible and yet be totally or partially blind to who Christ is and your need of Him. Oh, that God would give us all spiritual sight this morning. But then we meet another person in this passage. Mark tells us about blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Now, uh, Mark tells us a little bit about this man. But firstly, we find out that he is a blind man. Now, uh, there were generally uh, two ways that people became blind at this time. The most common two ways, aside from things like accidents, were infections that happened. One infection happened uh, at the time of birth, and another infection happened uh, in the first year or two of life. Those were the most common ways that people would lose their sight at this time. And Mark tells us Bartimaeus' name. And that's important because this is the only person that Jesus heals in the Gospel of Mark where we are told the name of the person that Jesus healed. Now, why did Mark do that? Well, it's, it's only a hypothesis. It's not confirmed. But I suspect that when Mark was writing this Gospel for the Roman audience, as far as we understand, that perhaps Bartimaeus was known to the early church. 
Perhaps he was still alive at the time when Mark was writing this gospel and he was known by the church. And you combine that understanding of how people became blind and the knowledge that Bartimaeus uh, was probably quite young at this time in his life, we can imagine that Bartimaeus was blind from birth. Blind from birth or from a very early stage of his life. And Bartimaeus is begging because at this time there was no other way to support or sustain yourself if you were blind, unable to work, unable to take care of yourself. So he places himself on this busy trade route. And who's passing by but religious pilgrims? And he hopes they might throw him some coins. And also there's the wealthy traders passing by, and perhaps they might throw him some coins. But do you know, friends, Bartimaeus, though he was blind, as I've mentioned, he had spiritual sight. He possessed something. He was richer than everyone else in this passage. Now, how do we know that? Well, that brings me on to the second portion of this passage, the cry of Bartimaeus. How do we know that Bartimaeus understood? How do we know that he saw the Lord Jesus accurately? Well, we can hear his cry to Jesus. Verse 47 tells us this, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want you to notice three things about this cry that Bartimaeus shouts out as Jesus passes by. Firstly, it's a cry of understanding. It's a cry of understanding. Look at the language that Bartimaeus uses. Look at the title that he applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, son of David. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've read through the Old Testament of the Bible, you know that that is Old Testament language. It is a title of the promised Savior, the promised Messiah. Right from back in Genesis, when Jacob prophesied that their ruler would come out of Judah. And then as we move through the Bible, uh, we find that this ruler will be a descendant of David. And God makes a promise to David that one of his sons would reign forever upon his throne. And as we move through the Psalms, we read that he would rule over the nations. And that there is salvation in this son of David. And here, Bartimaeus takes this language, this title of the Messiah, and he applies it to Jesus. Jesus, son of David. But if you keep reading through Mark's gospel, you'll know this, that it actually the Jews at this time did expect the Messiah to be a son of David. And Jesus, in, in, in chapter 12, challenges the Jews about this. And he says to them, essentially... How do you say that the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, is merely the son of David? And then he quotes from Psalm 110 and points out how 
David called his son, his Lord, his God. And what the Jews didn't understand at this time was that the Messiah would be greater than simply an earthly human descendant of King David, that the Savior would actually be God himself in human flesh. But in Bartimaeus' cry, there is an indication for us that Bartimaeus understood that. Because he cries out to Jesus of mercy. Now you'll know perhaps the story of Mephibosheth and King David. And uh, Mephibosheth was a man lame in his feet, and David took him into his house and provided for him, but David was unable to heal Mephibosheth. But David's greater son, Jesus, Bartimaeus expects that he has power beyond that of David. He is a greater than David. He is one who can have mercy upon him and give him sight. It's a cry of understanding. But it's also a cry of urgency. It's a cry of urgency. Now, there's nothing British about the way that uh, Bartimaeus asks Jesus. You know, we don't like to make a fuss, do we? We, Would you mind? I'm I'm so sorry. Would you please stop? There's nothing of that in Bartimaeus' cry, is it? It It is a cry of urgency. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, why is Bartimaeus so urgent in his cry to the Lord Jesus? Well, the answer is this. Bartimaeus knew he may never have another opportunity to cry out to the Lord Jesus. He knew that there was this moment when the Lord Jesus was passing by. Someone had told it to him. It says in verse 47, And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he immediately begins to cry out. Friends, there needs to be urgency in our seeking the Lord Jesus. We need to know what Bartimaeus knew, that the opportunity to call out to the Lord Jesus will not always be there. The opportunity you have this morning gathered with God's people, sitting under the sound of his word, perhaps you even know him speaking to you now in your conscience and heart, be urgent about responding. Be urgent about crying out because you don't know when the time of opportunity will pass. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah says. The Lord says to Isaiah, call upon him while he is near. And that is what Bartimaeus did. He knew the time of Jesus' passing and with urgency he cried out to him. Friends, If you don't know Christ yet, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, if you don't think you have spiritual sight, cry out now to the Lord Jesus in your heart. Be urgent about it. Now, some might ask the question, how did Bartimaeus come to know about who Jesus was? 
Here he is sitting by the road begging and he can't see. He couldn't witness any of the miracles that Jesus did because he was blind. Well, the answer has to be this. That eyewitnesses told Bartimaeus about Jesus. Somebody had witnessed the works of Christ and the words of Christ and had gone to Bartimaeus and told him about this man, Jesus. And you know, friends, that was enough for Bartimaeus. And can I tell you today, that's enough for you and I. God has given us four eyewitness accounts in the Gospels of the person and work of the Son of God, and it is enough. You know, often in the open air, we often face the kind of uh, comment and pushback, well, if, if Jesus spoke to me or if Jesus appeared to me, then that would be enough. Then I would believe, but it's not true. The eyewitness accounts are sufficient if we have spiritual sight. Oh, that God would give us spiritual sight. We can be confident in the Word of God. We can be confident in the Gospels. We don't need to uh, jazz it up. We don't need to add anything to the Scriptures. They are sufficient when God gives a man or woman spiritual sight. Don't be embarrassed about the Word of God. But I want you to notice it's not only an understanding of urgent, uh, 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 a cry of understanding and of urgency, there is also a sense of desperation in the cry of Bartimaeus. Look what happens after he cries out to Jesus. Look at verse 48. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You can imagine the crowds. Jesus is marching ahead. They're following. The disciples are behind him. And uh, the inconvenience of this man Perhaps they're in conversation and, and, and there's this man shouting and interrupting and they're saying, be quiet, be quiet. And you know, friends, when you start to make a noise in seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, when you start to take the Bible seriously, when you start to speak to others about him, you will receive the same response. Family will tell you, be quiet. Why are you getting into all that religion? Why are you so bothered with what happens after you die? That's all make-believe. Be quiet. You are interrupting our lives. Don't come to me and tell me about sin. Don't come to me and tell me I need to obey somebody I can't even see. Do you know the tragedy is, friends, we all know people who have been earnest initially in seeking the Lord Jesus, and they have received such pushback from friends, from family, and they've shrunk back from seeking Christ. They've listened. They've been quiet, just carried on with life. What was it that made Bartimaeus continue in his crying out to Jesus? What makes the difference between a man or woman who continues seeking Christ and a man or woman who gives up? Well, here's the answer. Bartimaeus knew his situation without Christ was utterly 
hopeless. He had no confidence in man. He knew from all of his years of perhaps seeking help for his blindness that there was no potion, no eye salve that could fix his predicament. And so when Jesus is passing by, he knows his only hope is Christ. And I want to tell you today, this morning, friends, that your only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no hope in yourself. You know it. You've tried it, haven't you? I'm going to do this. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And you try and you fail. And your conscience is guilty again. What's that telling you? It's telling you you've got no hope in yourself. You've got no hope in other people. People will let you down and fail you, even your closest loved ones. But when you know this, when you know the statement of Jesus' disciples, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Then you will persevere. Then you will know that when people tell you to be quiet, you say, well, what can you offer me? Christ offers me everlasting life and you will persevere in seeking him no matter how much people tell you to stop. Now, let's consider in conclusion the call of Jesus. How does Jesus respond to this cry from Bartimaeus? Well, we're told in verse 49, the first thing that Jesus did is Jesus stood still. Jesus stood still. Dwell on that for a moment. Here's Jesus moving on that difficult path, going ahead of his disciples. His mind is occupied with his sufferings and the reality that soon he will be bearing the sin of the world upon his shoulders. And yet Jesus stands still. It's good to hear you've been going through Mark's gospel with the children. And I'm sure you've experienced this, that Mark portrays Jesus as the constantly active Savior. Everything is immediate. He is moving forward all the time towards the cross. And yet, at the cry of this blind beggar, Jesus presses pause. Jesus stands still. And he gives his attention to this blind man. Now, there's a great attention shortage, isn't there, in the present world? We are all glued to our phones. Uh, we can't get the attention of other people often. We are distracted all the time. But look here. Jesus gives his attention to this man. Because he cries out to the Son of God. The Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though now he is exalted in glory and seated at the right hand of the Father, yet when you cry out to him, my friend, I want you to know this, you have the ear and the attention of the Son of God. How is that possible? He's a man still in heaven, yes, but he is more than a man. He is... Son of God, divine. Whatever burden 
you carry, however small or great, whatever need you have, you can bring it to Christ. And though he's upholding all things by the word of his power, though he's governing and ruling over the nations, yet you have his ear and attention. Jesus stood still. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't call Bartimaeus directly. What does he do? Look at the second part of verse 49. He commanded him to be called. He commanded him uh, to be called. What is Jesus doing? Well, he is using others to call Bartimaeus to himself. Now, why did Jesus do that? Perhaps it was just that they were a long distance away. Maybe. But then Jesus could simply have stood still and then walked over to Bartimaeus. I think the reason that Jesus did this is because he was showing a pattern of how he works even today. Jesus delights to use means. He delights to use you and I as his followers to call others to come to him. What a privilege it is that we can talk to those who are spiritually blind, those who are lost, and Jesus now sends us to call those to himself. Now, what is the message that they bring to Bartimaeus? Well, it says in second part of verse 49, then they call the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling you. Now, we must preach the law of God. We must preach the wrath of God against sinners. But there must also be this element in our gospel preaching, in our personal witness and conversation, that we can tell people that in Christ... If he is calling you, then you can be of good cheer. One of the great privileges of working in the open-air mission is you can learn from the other preachers who you work with locally or further afield. And there are some preachers I know that they can preach the gospel in such a way that they are always preaching with a smile. There's a warmth. There's, there's that sense in their preaching that they communicate that this message is good news, that Christ is calling sinners to himself. Or that God would give us grace to be of, like these uh, disciples calling Bartimaeus, be of good cheer, he is calling you. How does Bartimaeus respond to this message? Verse 50 says this, and throwing aside his garment, he arose, he rose and came to Jesus. Now the outer garment at this time would have been a long flowing robe. And uh, it was so heavy and long that actually it would be difficult to move quickly whilst wearing this robe. That's why the Israelites were told in the Exodus to, to have their weights girded. This is the language that Peter used when he says, when he says, gird up the loins of your mind, gathering the flowing garments and be sober. But Bartimaeus doesn't take the time to gather in his flowing outer garments, his coat. 
No, when Jesus calls Bartimaeus, he doesn't want to have anything hindering him. So he takes his garment and he just throws it off and he runs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, was Bartimaeus' garment a sinful garment? Was it a sinful piece of clothing? Of course not. Jesus didn't tell him uh, to take off his outer coat. But what Bartimaeus knew is this, that if he retained the outer garment, it would slow down his pursuit of Christ. Do you know, friends, we need to be mindful of those things that slow down our pursuit of Christ. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, and you know there are certain things that keep you from coming here and hearing the word of God on the Lord's day. You know there are certain friends that keep you from Christ. You know there are certain things that you take your time with in your life, and you know that they may not be sinful, but they slow down your seeking of Christ. Believers, there are things in our life, and we need to do regular spiritual checks. There may be things that might be quite fine for another Christian to do, or to enjoy, but for us, we know they become idols in our hearts. They slow down our pursuit of Christ. They suck our time and affections away from the Son of God. Let us learn from Bartimaeus that we must be willing to throw those things aside. It is not worth retaining them if it delays our coming to Christ. Well, not only does he throw aside his garments, but he rises and comes to Jesus. Now, there's no passage of time here. Bartimaeus does not sit a little while longer and say, well, if you wouldn't mind, Lord, I'd like to gather a bit more money so that I can give you something before I come to you. He does not try another eye salve or, or human remedy for his blindness. He comes immediately to Jesus. Because he knows, as I've said, that his only hope is in Christ. And once again, there is a lesson here for us. If you are not yet a Christian, the great temptation that we have before coming to Christ is thinking that we must do something to reform our life before coming to the Son of God. Perhaps there are sinful habits in your life, and you say, well, when I've just perhaps brought those sinful habits under control, then I will come to the Lord Jesus and trust in Him. There is this thing or that thing that I must reform in my life before I come to the Lord Jesus. But Bartimaeus comes immediately because he knows all he needs is in Christ. We need to know this, friends, that all we need is in the Son of God. Of Him you are in Christ Jesus, Paul says who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, they're all long words, but they essentially mean this. All we need for being made right with God, for being made holy in life, for hope after death, it is all found in the person of Christ, and all we must do is come to Him by faith. Bartimaeus comes to Christ. But then notice Jesus' response to Bartimaeus. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? 
Now imagine being in this scene. You see uh, Bartimaeus come to the Lord Jesus, and uh, you think, well, I've seen Jesus do miracles before. I think I know what's coming here, but Jesus doesn't immediately work a miracle. What does he do? He asks a question to Bartimaeus. The question is, what do you want me to do for you? Now, why does Jesus ask the question? Jesus could see that Bartimaeus was clearly a blind man. He could clearly see his need. Why does he want Bartimaeus to articulate his need to Christ? And I believe there are two answers to that question. The first one is this. The Lord Jesus loves it. He delights in hearing us articulate our needs to him. He delights in having communion with us. When we cry out to him, when we tell him of our needs, he is not tired of hearing them. Perhaps you get tired of your prayers. I get tired of my prayers. I think, well, I'm, you know, saying often the same phrases. They're not very eloquent I'm often making the same requests for the same loved ones and the same needs and the same ongoing burdens. And I think perhaps sometimes the Lord may be tired of hearing my prayers. But look here. Is that true? No. The Lord Jesus delights to hear Bartimaeus tell him his need. And my friend, the Lord Jesus delights to hear you tell him your need. Why else does Jesus ask this question? Well, I believe the second reason is this. Jesus is demonstrating his role as a servant. Jesus is demonstrating his role as a servant. Remember the passage that we read previously to the healing of Bartimaeus. Did you notice in verse 36 that Jesus asks precisely the same question to James and John. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's the question that you get when you walk into John Lewis or some other shop where their attendants are very attending of you and they come over to you and they say, how can I help you? It is the question of a servant. And here the eternal son of God comes and he speaks to James and John despite their, in, uh, their rude uh, statement he comes as a servant. What do you want me to do for you? Now, James and John's request is earthly glory. But what does Bartimaeus want in answer to that question of the servant king? Bartimaeus wants his sight. Now, why does Bartimaeus ask for this sight? Now, you could say, well, that's obvious. What a miserable existence it would have been to be blind at the time of Christ, to be utterly dependent upon other people, to be uh, uh, unable to work. Yes, I agree with you. That was part of the reason that he wanted to see. But I think Mark contrasts in this gospel the disciples of Christ and Bartimaeus on purpose. Because I think Bartimaeus did not just want to see so that he could have the temporal benefits of seeing. I think Bartimaeus wanted to see with his eyes because he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see the Son of God and he wanted to 
follow him. Now, how do we know that? Well, because we're told what happens after Jesus heals Bartimaeus. Look at verse 52. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Isn't it wonderful that the first person that Bartimaeus set his eyes upon was the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you desire most of all? Is it the things of this world? Or is it ultimately that you might see, love, and know the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word used here for uh, made well, when Jesus says to him, go your way, your faith has made you well, is the word to be saved, to be made whole. And I, I think that's here for a reason, because there was more than just uh, a physical healing here. Bartimaeus comes to Christ and he comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. He comes to a full uh, experience of the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may that be our experience this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I haven't got spiritual sight. I don't know how guilty I really am. I, I don't know how Jesus can save me. Well, Cry out to God. Cry out to the Lord Jesus. Give me sight, O Lord, and he will give you his ear and attention and answer your prayer. And he will save you. Amen.